Peace and love to you with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, actions speak louder than words. At least they often do, don't they? And if we want to glorify God, shouldn't our actions show that? And certainly the fact that you've come here on another windy Wyoming day to be edified by the word of God, that action alone says... You love the word of God. But when we look at our Old Testament lesson as recorded by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 58, verses 5 through 9, it becomes clear that sometimes we can get hung up on the wrong actions and think they're glorifying God. I always get concerned when people get too concerned about standing and sitting, bowing and crossing yourself as if these traditions that are not commanded by Scripture and you're performing them really glorify God and show out your faith. They can, but they can be done for the wrong reasons and and, and actually distract. In the same way, people who want to completely scrap all of history and turn around and say, I want to spin and, and, and jump around and do my own thing, well, who are they focusing on as well? Actions speak louder than words, but sometimes those actions can be misinterpreted. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, we're told that God is glorified when the fruits of our faith are seen in action. Jesus says, starting at verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, they put it on a stand and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine in people's presence so they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, because the love of God is in your heart, helping push your neighbor out of a snowdrift can certainly show them God's love. But that action in and of itself will not tell them God loves you so much. He died for you and rose for you to give you salvation. The truth of the matter is God is glorified the most when we are proclaiming his word. Well, that brings us to the question that is our sermon theme today. How can our preaching and teaching glorify God? And you notice I say our. You may be thinking, but pastor, you're the one who preaches and teaches. I preach and teach you. You share that with your neighbors as well. Most of the time when I get a chance to talk to somebody now as a pastor, they're already a believer. So it's clearly something that is an hour and... For example, we had two members volunteer a lot of their time this week to open up our parking space. If it was not for your offerings and your work, you wouldn't be here to hear my preaching and teaching. So it is an hour thing. Our text for our sermon is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, which tells us, As for me, brothers, when I came to you, I did not come with superior speech or wisdom in order to proclaim to you the testimony of God. For I had no intention of knowing anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not marked by persuasive words of human wisdom, but by a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is the word of our Lord. Again, our sermon theme is the question, how can our preaching and teaching glorify God? And I will preach on my own translation of uh, this section from the original Greek language. The Apostle Paul says in verse 1, And I myself came to you, brothers, 
not in accordance with the superiority of words or wisdom, while thoroughly proclaiming to you the mystery of God. You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the greatest orators in human history was Hitler. He knew how to be persuasive. He knew how to use emotions and whip up a crowd and feed off of a crowd. Apostle Paul, when he comes to Corinth, and remember, Corinth is, is north. It's not too far away from what was the intellectual city of the world, of the ancient world, Athens. He's going to the academics. But does he come with academia and colorful words and psychological tricks to sucker people into listening? That would actually be how cult leaders work, wouldn't it? No. He says he, does, he didn't come in accordance with the superiority of words or wisdom. He says, well, thoroughly proclaiming to you the mystery of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a mystery here. And, you know, if you were to open up a mystery book and it were to turn around and say the butler did it and then tell you how he went about doing it, most of the time it wouldn't be worth the read, would it? What makes God a mystery? I can look out today and say God's powerful just by the wind I can hardly stand up to when, the, when I'm standing on ice. I can see God is orderly. You and I both have a conscience. We can tell that God has a holiness to him, a justice to him. We will never find that God became a man and died for us in this creation unless somebody shares that message with us. It is a glorious, wonderful mystery that God became a man through his own divine miracle and he earned, he purchased, he won your eternal salvation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not when our focus is on worldly wisdom that we glorify God. It's in revealing the mystery of the good news of salvation in Christ, the God-man, which we summarize with one word, the gospel. And so if we look at verse 4, and we're going to come back to verse 4 in a few minutes, he says, And my speech and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a displaying of the spirit and of power. For a while, I got a kick out of watching uh, hypnotists work like on television and stuff. There are certain words that you can use that will bypass a person's uh, conscious mind, go right in the subconscious mind and get them to do things like that if you, if you know how to do it and you can find the right person. But that's not what the Apostle Paul used. He was not a salesman for the gospel in the slightest. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, a person can hone the skill of being a colorful preacher. But what does the Apostle Paul talk about? He talks about the power of the Spirit. One of the preachers that in my life I would say was the best preacher looked through one eye and preached through the whole sermon like this. But if you took notes of the sermons he wrote, you realized, wow, it's powerful. It wasn't about the deliverer. It was about the one who delivered us and his message who had sent that pastor as a messenger. And when he talks about displaying the spirit and of power. See, the great power of that mystery of God is that when we hear we need a Savior and that we have a Savior, the Holy Spirit works through that word to create a new person in us that is alive in Christ. And so how can our preaching and teaching glorify God? It's not when our focus is on worldly wisdom, but in revealing the mystery of that God became a man and did all the work of salvation for us and that God works through that mystery to create a new person in us so that we believe it. 
Verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, Because I decided to have perceived nothing among you except Jesus Christ having been crucified. The word the Apostle Paul uses for knowledge is to have seen it and therefore to have known it. In Paul's own way, he's saying, when I came to you, my eyes were on the cross of Christ. But he says even that in the past tense with an ongoing result, having been crucified. Because he also came off that cross. He also rose, right? Churches can do fun things and have bowling leagues and things like that. But if our emphasis is on making sure that we're entertaining people, well, you know, two weeks ago we heard in a, in a sermon, if, we, if God wanted us to be entertained, he would have sent an entertainer, right? He sent a savior. Our focus has got to be not on worldly things, but on the savior. Yes, it is nice to offer things in fellowship with each other. And certainly, if we have friends coming through that door and we ignore them or snub them, we can drive them away. In fact, a retired, now retired pastor I used to say all the time, I can't bring one person through those doors, but I can certainly drive them away. We can get caught up on worldly things, making sure that we have the things that people want. But when they came to us, we would be feeding them candy not a nourishing meal. Paul says, I decided to have perceived nothing among you except Jesus Christ having been crucified. This crucifixion made necessary because we are impure. We are not perfect. We are not perfectly loving. We are not perfectly holy. We are not perfectly peaceful. We are not perfectly merciful and perfectly full of grace. So God did that for us. And then he bore the punishment for us, spilling his blood to wash away our impurities. It's not when our focus is on worldly things that distract from Christ having been crucified. It's when our focus is on Christ having been crucified. The Apostle Paul continues, And I myself came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I have to tell you, I get hung up on this verse. On the other end of that area, in, in, in the same uh, region, in a little town called Philippi, the Apostle Paul takes a beating and allows himself to be thrown in prison. And all he had to say was some wonderful words, I am a Roman citizen. And in fact, if somebody else wasn't a Roman citizen and they had him beat, they could be crucified for it. He was guaranteed a trial. You did not flog Roman citizens. Why? Did Paul keep his mouth shut? It only makes sense that he wanted to protect the new church there of believers and he wanted to be thrown in jail to preach Christ having been crucified to those inmates. So how can Paul here suddenly say that he came in weakness and in fear and in much trembling? Maybe both are true. Maybe Paul is a very brave and courageous man who even in Antioch got drug out and was stoned. They thought they'd killed him. And he stood up for the word of the Lord. But let's admit it. If we don't handle the word with fear and trembling, we will not be glorifying God. And we live in a day today where we can especially understand. You can send a comforting text of Christ's love to a friend through some form of social media and come back to work the next morning even though you weren't even at work or having anything to do with work and find yourself fired for a comforting message to a friend. 
Let's admit it, brothers and sisters in Christ. We live in a society today where people say, How dare you? How dare you say that my pet sin is a sin? How dare you say that I am damned and going to hell unless God intervenes? Because we think that we're all perfect and wonderful and we all play nice. When we proclaim the law, we should not do it in anger or, or in a pharisaical way. We should do it with fear and trembling. In fact, in our gospel lesson for today, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, we're told by the Savior, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. Amen, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not even the smallest letter or even a part of the law will in any way pass away from the law until everything is fulfilled. So whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and experts in the law, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There isn't something that makes us want to handle the word of God gloriously, joyfully, but with fear and trembling. So whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of God. We must proclaim the law to a world that does not want to hear that in their natural condition they are damned and going to hell. But if we don't proclaim that law, if we don't show impurity, if we don't show that our love isn't perfect, that we in fact tend to be very selfish. People think of sin as the people who are doing things that put you in prison. They don't realize that sin is a complete lack of God's holiness and impurity. But if we don't show them that, they will not see the need of a Savior. And if they do not see the need of a Savior, then the good news that they have a Savior doesn't mean much to them. Be spoiled, rotten brats. How can our preaching and teaching glorify God? It's not in bravado. It's not in the self-righteousness that we saw in the Pharisees. Hey, I'm pointing out your sin because I want you to know that I'm better than you. It's not being so timid that we keep quiet Lord, I'm just too shy. My neighbor can burn in hell. I, I just don't have the backbone to tell them they're in mortal danger. It's only when we proclaim sin and God's wonderful grace that saves us. In verse 4, told you we'd come back to it. The Apostle Paul says, And my speech and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a displaying of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not continue being in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul certainly was given the ability to do miracles. And in fact, one of the miracles, after Paul preached all night, uh, a young man fall asleep in the window and he, and he falls out a couple of stories and he dies and God gave him the ability to raise, gave Paul the ability to raise that man to life. But that was a displaying of the Spirit's power, not Paul's power. It was not about Paul's glory. It was about God's glory. And the truth of the matter is, Paul, the guy who had persecuted the church, ends up writing a pretty good chunk of the New Testament. And that is where the power of God is seen, to take his enemy and make him one of his most effective evangelists. It's in the Word through which the Holy Spirit comes, and by the power of God, he does something that is not of this world's wisdom. He creates a new person in you and I. So that we become believers and cling to that cross of Christ and are cleaved to him. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
Today, you and I might not go around speaking in tongues. We might not raise people from the dead, but we still have the power the apostles had. We have the word of God. And God promises his Holy Spirit works through it. How can our preaching and teaching glorify God? It's not when our focus is on worldly wisdom, but on revealing the mystery of salvation in Christ, which we call the gospel. It's not when our focus is on worldly things that distract from Christ having been crucified. It's not bravado, self-righteousness, or being so timid we keep quiet about sin and grace. It's God's power at work. How can our preaching glorify God? It's God's power. Don't focus on you. Stay true to the law and gospel and trust in God's Holy Spirit to convict that the person, your neighbor, your friend, your relative, to con- his Holy Spirit will convict them. Sometimes he'll send many other people to help water a seed he's used you to plant. Sometimes you may be watering a, a seed that somebody else has planted. Are you too shy? Are you too afraid? Are you too busy in this world? Any of those excuses are simply excuses saying God can't work through me. God one time spoke when he didn't want Balaam to, be, to, to prophesy against his people. He one time spoke through Balaam's donkey. God took his enemy Saul and made him the apostle Paul. God takes a man who worked in a prison and cursed worse than any trucker you've ever met and made him your pastor. God took you made you his child. And that is how our preaching and teaching glorify God. Amen. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and in his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. Amen.